1: I'll say that ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow.
0: Now we say that. Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here, all right? This is the Trunk Nation podcast podcast with host Eddie Trunk.
2: What's up, folks? It's Eddie Trunk, and this is the Eddie Trunk podcast. Hope everybody had a fantastic Christmas. And hey, this is the last podcast of 2021. So let me wish you a very, very happy and healthy new year wherever you are listening. Thank you for checking it out, and thank you for subscribing to those that do. And uh, we have two interviews for you this week. First up, John Waite. Second this week, Wolfgang Van Halen and Mark LaBelle of Dirty Honey. What a double dip to close out 2021 and head into a new year. Actually, a triple dip. Because there's three different people on this podcast alone as my guests. We'll start with John Waite. First time I ever interviewed John Waite. Great guy, great conversation, still can sing his ass off. Great to visit and interview with people that I've never interviewed before. That does not happen all that often. And it was really, really great to talk to John. We'll do that first. And then we'll follow it up with Mark LaBelle, lead singer of the band Dirty Honey. And Wolfgang Van Halen, of course, Mammoth WVH, they join me together because they are touring together on a tour called Young Guns, which hasn't kicked off yet, but will be kicking off soon. So the timing to rehear this interview and revisit this interview is great. As I tell you each week, these interviews originated on my Sirius XM radio show, Trunk Nation, heard on volume live Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 Eastern, Sirius XM channel 106 nightly re-airs 10 to midnight eastern anything you want anytime you want Sirius XM app please join me on the radio to get the complete picture and all the content you only get a fraction of it here on the podcast so we got a long one for you this week but a great way to close out the year we'll get to Mark LaBelle of Dirty Honey and Wolfgang Van Halen together in just a bit but we get started with John Waite we talk about his solo career we talk about the babies we talk about bad English you're gonna love it here's John Waite Having done this for decades and decades, it's rare that I have an opportunity to talk to an artist who I've not had the pleasure of doing so before in my career, and that is the case right now with a guy who I've been a fan of for a very long time, going back to his days as the singer in the band, The Babies, and of course, the current music he's making as well. Truly great singer. It's great to welcome to the show, John Waite. Hey, John, nice to talk to you. How are you?
0: Oh, I'm great, Eddie. How are you doing?
2: Good, good. Yeah, I was thinking about it off the air. You know, I've been doing this almost as long as you have, and I don't believe our paths have ever crossed, so it's great to visit with you and uh, have you on the show. And, you know, I was clicking around a little bit to see what you were doing currently, and, man, that new song you've got, Not Dark Yet, is just killer. Your voice sounds fantastic. Uh, Tell me about the new music you've been making recently.
0: Oh, well, you know, in the pandemic, it got to the point where I was just climbing the walls. So I went back in the studio and cut the sort of volume three of Wooden Heart, which is an acoustic series of CDs I've been putting out over the last five or six years. And uh, and then, because I had nothing else to do, <laughs> really, I put them all out once, like Wooden Heart, volume one, two, three. And we've been touring behind it uh, for the last three or four months. We've been doing dates with Pat Benatar and Neil Giraldo and we've been doing headline dates. We just got back a couple of nights ago, um, from, uh, the East coast. We've been up and down the East coast and we're going back out again in three weeks. So we're touring. The record's doing well. Not dark yet. is a Dylan song. I'm quite proud of it really, but you never know. You never know what Bob would think of it. But, uh, it's it's an interesting record, the three albums together, uh, and um, it's out there. If you want it, it's in Target, or it's available online, signed. You know, you know, it's just out there.
2: Are are the records? Are all the records acoustic? Are those? Is that series of EPs? They're all acoustic, John.
0: Yeah, the first one's an EP, and then the two and three are fully loaded. They're like, you know, 12, 15 songs per CD. Um, but it's, yeah, it started out as an EP. It was just something I was doing because I had four great songs that I wanted to sing, uh, two Richard Thompson songs and two originals. And I just put it out because we were doing some unplugged stuff and I watched just, you know, I've always loved unplugged music and nobody's doing it that much anymore. So I thought it'd be a good time to do it. Now, when you do these live
2: shows that you said you are doing with Pat and Neil or any of the... I see you have a few coming up this year. Uh, Kent, Ohio, December 17th. Uh, Riviera Theater in uh, New York on the 18th and the 19th. Warrendale, PA are your remaining shows for the year. When you go out and play, yeah. is that with a full band or are you, are you doing uh, basically an acoustic stripped-down live set as well?
0: No, it's... Uh, we were so... Uh gung ho with the acoustic stuff that now we come out and do like six acoustic songs and then the band come out me and the guitar player come out with two acoustics and and play whatever we feel like playing off the album and maybe even some stuff that we haven't recorded yet and then the band comes out and we kick it into all the the hits and the stuff that's loud (laughs) yeah yeah. so it's two for the Uh, but it's John, I really love, you know.
2: Oh, you just dropped yeah. out there for a second. We got you back now.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I couldn't go out there and not do it. It's something that's very sort of, you know, it, I love it. I love the unplugged thing. and um, But I also love the rock thing. Yeah, I'm stuck in a world that's sort of half folk and country and half flat-out <laughs> rock. But it's interesting, and it makes for an interesting night, you know.
2: Well, your voice works for all of that. And I've always been a fan of your singing. And what's really uh, amazing is, you know, hearing these tracks and hearing the recent stuff, it, It's it sounds like your, your voice is fully there. You know, it's no secret that some of these guys who have been doing this as long as you have, unfortunately, lose some of their vocal ability. And it sounds like you really uh, still have uh, your voice just as you did decades ago. How do you feel about how you've evolved as a singer and and do you agree with that do you are things as comfortable say from the baby yeah. stuff is that as comfortable for you to sing now as it was back then
0: well i you know i had to say it but i think i'm actually a better singer but i think life experience gives you more to sing about and um really you know i'm fully f- fledged singer now but i think most of my life i was kind of wondering if i was any good or whatever But um, the last three, four months of touring, you know, we come out, man. We do all the really heavy stuff in the original keys. And then we go out with a whole lot of love because everybody in the band knew it. We didn't have to rehearse it. But I mean, I kill it. You know, I don't know why. And I know that it should be kind of not quite as there as it used to be. But I think it's about 20% better. And I can't really... Honestly, can't really tell you why. I still smoke like three cigarettes a day, and I don't warm up. So I think maybe that's it. Maybe that kind of confidence, <laughs> knowing that you're going to bring it, and the band being tight. Um, there's a lot to be said about that. I've heard people warm up and you know do all that stuff, and they sound yeah. like crap. You know, it doesn't. Just sounds like they've warmed up, like they're trying it's... to be something. But I think if you throw yourself into the moment. It's authentic, you know. That's what's happening with the unplug stuff. It's authentic. You can't look away and you can't like hide behind a lot of effects or volume. You're either on or you're not, you know?
2: Yeah, it always amazes me in my career talking to to singers because all of them have such different approaches. Some you will watch <laughs> go I will watch you know, I'll be in the dressing room and I'll watch them go through hours of screaming and towels and all these warm ups and stuff. And then I'll watch other singers just literally, you know, light up a cigarette, pop a beer and walk out on stage and sing effortlessly. It's really, I don't know if it's just a mental thing or what it comes down to, but I know guys that won't talk on show days and others that will talk your ear off till the minute they walk off on on stage. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: No, I mean, you know, we've just done four gigs in a row. And, you know, I'm hitting dog notes really, but I have no idea. Like I said, I think it's a, I think it's wisdom. There's a kind of physical wisdom that crosses into your spiritual self. And it's like knowledge, it's like knowing how to get from A to B to C, but you're not even thinking about it. I mean, you really don't think about singing. You know, it's like a conversation, only it's longer notes. And if the place is packed and they're hanging off the rafters, you know, there's a lot of conversation gonna happen. It's a two way street. So I, like I say, you just throw yourself into it. I come from that school of English, British kind of, you know, shouters. I mean, it's like, it's all blues driven. Um, and I don't mind imperfection, but I, I it, the only two rules I've got with the band is you stay in time and you're in tune. And the rest of it is pure performance, you know?
2: When when you uh when the world first heard you it was obviously singing with the babies and some great songs and yeah. some great records. How do you, how do you look back on that period of your career and and coming out of uh, coming into the public spotlight with that band and the music that you guys made with that band?
0: Well, you know, we'd spent like 5 years uh together when it came to an end. Um I didn't consider myself a singer really. I, I, I was a songwriter and a bass player, and um, although that sounds like I'm being coy, I always knew I could sing. It's just that I didn't see myself as making my way through my life as a singer. And it surprised me you know I mean, I'd already been on the road for like five years, been to America and gone back home. You know, I really had to pay some dues and I kind of walked into the babies. And there was nothing going on. There was just me and a guitar player. And he couldn't write and he couldn't sing. So I got the job. And I stepped into it. And the manager said one weekend, can you write two songs for going in the studio next week? And I said, yeah. I didn't even think about it. I mean, I had a lot of balls. You know, I was—I kind of knew what worked. And um, I kind of really kind of leaned on the guys in the band a lot, looking back on it. But somebody had to, you know, I kind of knew what was right. And I think we were kind of ahead of the curve. Uh, There was a lot of influences there, but my influences were like country blues and folk. And obviously the stuff like free, you know, the blues based stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think my, my influences were authentic influences. And I think, I only sing one way. I can't imitate other people, and I can't write for other people. I'm not a businessman. I'm an artist, and it and if it falls, it falls because it's my fault. But I mean, that just being given that opportunity, I didn't let go of it. You know, I really loved the fact that I could write songs and do that. You know, it was just a wonderful thing. It was a chance in a million, really.
2: Did you always know, John, that coming off of the babies that solo was the way you were going to go? Or at that point, did you toy with the idea of doing another band?
0: Well, I, I, I had an accident on stage. I told the band I was leaving because the keyboard player joined Journey. And the band was just going around in circles. We would, we'd had a lot of success. And we'd been right on the, the knife edge of moving into the upper stratosphere of bands. But it failed. For whether whatever reason it didn't go all the way, and we were blowing people away live, but it didn't really translate into people. I don't know how mainstream we were. You know, we were kind of entertaining, but was that mainstream? I don't know. Uh, mm. But when I left the Babies, I went back to England, actually got married, lived in a small cottage in a village in England called Sedba. And uh, quit. I had no intention of ever singing again. I was done with the music business. Little did I know that I'd get a solo deal, come back, live in New York City. It would all blow up again. I'd go back to England, absolutely sick of the music business. And then EMI signed me and I had Missing You. So it was never easy, but it was always great fun. But nothing worth doing is ever that easy. I think there's always complications.
2: When you when you talk about um, the keyboard player joining Journey that of course was Jonathan Kane and I know that Jonathan had written in his book that the babies were out opening for Journey and he started to kind of spend a lot of time with them and watch their sound checks and that's ultimately how he ended up getting in the band what w- at that point did you feel like the writing was on the wall and was everybody sort of unraveling with the babies across the board or was it was it Jonathan no, getting that gig that really killed true. it
0: What's I that? think he, he killed it. I mean, I think he was, he was always looking for the main chance, and I don't think he was there was any real loyalty to us. I mean, you have to remember, we were British, so we were a lot different to him. And, um, you know, it, everybody has their reasons. I mean, by the time we hit the fifth album, we weren't hardly a band anymore. It was just ragged. So if he wanted to leave, that was up to him, really.
2: You know what I think is interesting, too, when you talk about the lineage of your career, when you go, uh, you you didn't expect to be a solo artist. And then, of course, you mentioned Missing You, a gargantuan song. But even before that, the song Change, which was uh, a big song. And on the one thing that happened around that time, as you well know, 82-ish was the rise of this channel called MTV here in the U.S., which was such a huge driver for artists, and you lived on with some of those songs and videos. And I often wonder, do you think that if the babies would have maybe hung in there for a couple more years and the babies went to MTV and got all that exposure, it may have been a different story for that band?
0: Well, that's interesting. i had never thought of that. We got signed to a record deal by making a video we were the first band to ever do that. A lot of people, lay claim to it, and they probably were right behind us going to do it. But we were the first band to actually make a video and send it around the companies. So wow. we're always very much about videos. So yeah. it might have been a natural step, but we might have seemed a little too developed or something. I don't know. I was surprised when change became so big because of MTV. Cause I wasn't really touring. I did, I did maybe 50 gigs and uh, the record company just lost interest. They just weren't into me. They had other acts that were doing much better. And I was living in New York city and uh, I knew all the VJs, you know, I mean, I knew them all. Nina Blackwood, you know, I mean, JJ Jackson. I mean, they were great people. And I had a pretty great relationship with them. You know, you'd see them at the Ritz and you would start doing shots. <laughs> you know, there's only so many people on the scene in New York at that point, and you would just rub shoulders with them, and they became friends, you know. And if there was an opening, they said, "Do you want to come down and fill this ten-minute interview?" And I go, "Yeah, sure," you know. But uh, even though my career was sort of spiraling out of control, I was sort of like doing really well on MTV. So maybe I, uh, I've, I've always been very uh, aware of that, and I thought they really kept me from going off into oblivion, really, you know?
2: Now, Change was a song, if I'm not mistaken, that was written by Holly Knight, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I know Holly, and I've had her on the show, and she's, of course, has a big catalog of, of songs. How did that come to you? Was that Did she do that with her previous band, Spider, or was that just something a publisher submitted yeah. to you?
0: No, no, I got, I got it in the mail one day. I was living in this trash pad on 72nd Street, right opposite the Dakota. And there's always a gigantic amount of pressure to have a single. And I was more concerned with writing album tracks at that point. I really didn't want to be pop. Um, there were some great songs on that record though. Me and Ivan Crawl from Iggy Pop and um, Paddy Smith, we became like, uh, he became my guitar player and we'd written the record together. But I knew that we needed a single. And it came in the mail. And I remember listening to it. I didn't like the lyrics much. I changed a lot of the lyrics and uh, sang it my own way. Kind of, I'm good at doing things like that. I produce as well. So I can see a song in a linear way. I can go in there and get it. And um, yeah, you know, it, it for me, I had to change some of it to make it realistic. But, uh, you know, more power to it. Great song. And tell me about Could, did you
2: ever see, did you ever expect uh, And a song that you are a writer on is missing you, which is probably your biggest song. Did you, when you create, when you wrote that and recorded that, did you have any inkling of what that was going to become? I'm always curious about that. When I talk to artists and who have these giant iconic songs, if when they wrote it and recorded it, if they knew, if they felt it was something that was going to be that definitive song for them.
0: Well, yeah, as a writer, you know, you're looking for this thing that you can't put your finger on. There's always something new and uh, it never stops. And with the babies, you know, I'd kick off a a tempo and just make stuff up like head first, you know, just like make stuff up. And it worked. You'd have to go back to uh, your room with a notepad and cross out a lot of stuff and rewrite it and rewrite it. But you get stuff off the top of your head. But that was the backing track that uh, a friend of mine was playing uh, to me and I said let's have a go at that and I made up the the entire first verse and chorus and I used every time I think of you as the opening line which was a baby song Mm. to get me moving and then I just sort of this thing just came out of me and even the you know I ain't missing you at all since you've been gone away I ain't missing you no matter what my friends say I made that up at the top of my head And uh, it was so shocking that I did that. I sort of like, it was like the mic was electric. I kind of bounced off the mic like I'd been shocked because it was such an emotional thing. I hadn't been home for like four months. I'd come over to sign contracts with EMI, say hello, shake hands, maybe meet a couple of guitar players and go home. But I'd met Gary Myrick, who was this really great avant-garde, Range guitar player. We hit it off and started writing songs immediately. So I, I stayed. But I think Missing You was was a love song to, you know, various people in New York and England, and about being far away from where you belong. But it came out of nowhere. You know, I I thinking about being authentic. I don't think you could sit down and write that kind of lyric. It comes out of your subconscious.
2: Yeah, yeah. You mentioned living in New York, which I know you did for a long time. You don't live in New York City any longer, right?
0: No, I'm on the balcony of my my condo in Santa Monica. I can't, you know. <laughs> but I mean, I've just got no, <laughs> good know. Good for you, good for you, I, because I
2: I'm in. I live in New Jersey, John, and it's it's 30 degrees here this these no, next couple we were, of days. So we were good there for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, we were there last week. I mean, believe me. Um, but I loved it. I mean, I've never lost my uh, affinity for the East Coast because it's more blue-collar, you know. Everybody looks you in the eyes. Everybody's sort of down-to-earth. It works. And I love the seasons, you know. The seasons are beautiful on the East Coast. From, you know, Philadelphia to New York City to Boston, you know, to Maine. I mean, it's all just beautiful there. There's no real seasons changing here. It makes me insane. But uh, we're going back. We're doing some more dates in New York in three weeks. So, you know, I mean, in a, in a perfect world, I mean, the album is a very successful record right now. And I have a lot of my own catalog and I've got my publishing. There's always that thing in the back of my mind to go and move back to New York City. And every morning I check the real estate, you know, I'm looking sort of in the back of my mind to sort of, just snag a a cool place to go and disappear to.
2: You know, I couldn't let you go without asking you about Bad English. We have a lot of uh, hard rock fans in my audience, and that record was, uh, you know, with Neil Sean and Jonathan Cain and Ricky Phillips and Dean, that first record. Now now what's interesting is, of course, that record broke off of a, a Diane Warren ballad reservations at the time that that would end up being the the, the identifiable song for that band, which was much more of a hard rock thing outside of that song?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, and this is a long story, but I'll try and make it short. The A&R guy, when I I signed to Epic, I signed as a solo. There was going to be no band. And I met the A&R guy, and he was like, yeah, you know, your songwriting is a bit, you know, I'm going to find, and I thought, oh, shit, you know? this isn't going to work. So I put a band together. It took a long time, it took about three months, but I, you know, put it out there and we turned around with bad English. But the fact was he stayed out of our way for the making of the album and all the writing. And we all felt bad about it. And he had this one song and I knew Diane, I'd been friends with her for 10 years. And we just felt at least we could try this song as a thank you to him. So he didn't look like an idiot to the record company. He was a good guy, you know, and we could it. And as we could it, we all knew it was number one. And we were all wondering if we should go with it or not. But you know, there's that Aerosmith thing where they're doing the same thing and we are managed by the same people. And it's, you know, it's a great song to sing. We do it unplugged and it goes down like a rocket. But um, I know what you're saying. There was better songs, I think, from Diane and better songs on the album. But sometimes a hit single, a number one single, nobody gives you that. I mean, the band just took it and ate it alive. The, the demo was just, you know, wimp city. But we sort of like, Neil especially, just threw it into overdrive. And um, it became number one. You can't really argue with it.
2: What, why do you think uh, there was a second bad English record that was uh, kind of dead on arrival? I think it was called Backlash. Why, why do you yeah. think that bad Eng- Why did bad English only last for such a short time? Why did it implode so quickly?
0: Well, you know, the truth is, me and Jonathan just couldn't get on. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. dark, and I just got sick of it after a while you know, I've been successful as a solo and he's successful with, with Neil doing something else. And I think there's a point where you really try and bring it home, but there's just nothing there. I think we, we should have taken a year off maybe and circle back and see if we're still feeling the same way, but who knows? I mean, I have no idea things have a, a natural life, you know? And, uh, I walked out in the end. It was just rubbish, you know. It was just like a lot of arguments, and the producer was an asshole. So I just left, you know. That.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, when you're when you're John Waite and you can still sing, and now you've built this catalog of stuff from the Babies, uh, you're the voice of that, of course. And then the solo material, which is expansive at that point, and then you've got you've you've got the, the bad English hit that you can do. I mean. I, I would imagine for you at this point in your life and the new music you make that that's really the best comfort zone for you. You can play the whole catalog of all the stuff you've been a part of, which is great, and then, of course, still create new stuff and put on a great show and call the shots yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think as an artist, that's where most people would like yeah. to be.
0: No, it's, it, you're right. I mean, uh, it's. I think if I was um, a mainstream kind of like if I was in that world, I couldn't release Wooden Heart. You know, I, I would be with a record label that wanted me to make the same song over and over again. I'm very independent. And, um, I, you know, I just do what I want. I think if you have your freedom, you've got a lot. And every month the checks come in from all the work that I've done. And I don't have to take shit from anybody. I just do what I want to do. And uh, And when you're in that world, you raise the bar really high. If you're just trying to please a record company or have a successful career for the, for a certain market, if you're actually using the word demographic, you're a bastard. Because a lot of people are just in it for the money and a lot of people make the same piece of music over and over and over again. It's all about taking it as far out as you can. And if you fail, then you've done something with some integrity you know but if you just need to make money then fuck i just it's it's crap to me i just i wouldn't do that
2: and tell me about your art that's something else that i know that you are passionate about you do a lot of do you do painting or drawing what exactly do you do
0: yeah well you know before i became well actually at the same time that i was a musician i was at art school i went to art school for four years got a diploma not that that means anything but i've always loved art and and you know, drawing. And if I'm in a town like Chicago, I go to the art gallery when I was in New York. I used to go to the Met like three times a week or MoMA. You know, I mean, I just like art. A lot of people do that are British. But yeah, uh, I do a lot of sort of like uh, pieces. Some of them are a lot more serious than others. Um, but you can go on John White Worldwide and see what's up there. And uh, if any of it you takes your fancy... You can you can get one fairly cheap. I mean, they go for about two grand, right down to about 200. They're not out of um, people's, you know, means. I think it's kind of worth it to have an original piece of work. I would buy, you know, I'd like to buy my own stuff. <laughs>
2: <laughs> have you have you ever considered? You know, I know I've had Rick Allen on here, and I know that uh, there's a number of guys. You know, Paul Stanley does it. There's a number of guys that do these things with galleries around the country and sell the art that way and go appear there. Do you do things like that as well, or or you just prefer to keep well, it? Well, you
0: know, I talked to a gallery, and um, they wanted sixty percent. Um, or something oh. 40 percent. I mean, you know, yeah, it was bullshit. And I just sort of like said, well, I'll see you down the road. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, if you're gonna be a painter be serious, you know, and if you're just gonna paint Jimi Hendrix or whatever, then, you know, next. And, and you know, it's like, I, I was thinking about doing a whole series on country artists. And uh, because Bob Dylan has got such an engaging physical persona and he's changed so much, I was thinking of doing a series on Dylan, but I might do a um a whole series on like obscure uh writers or whatever, I don't know. If you have got an interesting face, it needs drawing, you know. Mm. And uh I you know, I've, I've i did a couple of Eric Sarty, the the composer, I did Paddy Smith, mm-hmm. uh Artaud, the French surrealist poet, and then in the middle of all that there's abstracts and there's selfies, these like small cartoons that are just a keepsake if you want to get one. But um I think when the music thing hits the wall, when I don't feel like going out, I'm just gonna be a full time painter. You know, I take it pretty seriously. So I think that's waiting for me. John com
2: is the website. There you'll find information on John's music, his art, and the remaining live dates for the year. Again, December seventeenth, Kent, Ohio. December eighteenth, North Tonawanda, New York, and December nineteenth, Warrendale, Pennsylvania. Those dates are there. Last thing, John, what are you look forward to in the new year as things continue to open up, thankfully, and shows start to roll more? Are, do you have a, Do you have some dates lined up for the next year? What are you looking yeah. for in twenty twenty two?
0: Yeah, yeah we're, we're, we've had some serious uh, offers coming for uh, like major money, and it looks like it's going to be like a a really strong year but you just i mean the stones are out there doing it you know there's no reason as long as you get vaccinated i think the doors are going to be open Uh, if you're not vaccinated i think you'll be sitting in the car park um it's just the way it is i mean in germany they're saying um you know you get vaccinated or you you're gonna die they're they're very full-on about it we were supposed to go to holland two years ago and that got moved to this year and then moved to next year from this year. Um, And we were going to see about playing Germany at the same time, Italy. Um, So there's a huge amount of, of interest in going back out on the road. We've just done 20 dates. So it's, it has to keep moving forward. If, if um, I agree, if we're going to survive this thing, we have to get in it. So I mean, I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm, I'm out there doing it. And uh, come and see the shows, you know, come and dance. Have a good time. This is some rock and roll.
2: Well, nobody needs to see me dance, but next time I get a chance to see you uh, sing, I'm certainly going to show up, John. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you, man. Good. I've been a fan for a long time. And, uh, you know, we have a mutual friend, Brent Woods, who I know played in your band a little bit. I was oh, just talking to him before yeah. he came on the air. He said to say send his best to you and i know he enjoyed oh, uh, great doing great some to stuff with player. you yeah 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 really for cool sure guy. thanks to john Way. great to meet him over the phone and great to have him on the show and i appreciate the time and hopefully we'll do more with john in the future coming up next mark labelle of dirty honey and wolfgang van halen together on the eddie trunk podcast wolfgang van halen And Mark LaBelle of Dirty Honey both have been on this show many times over the last couple years or year and a half. They are teaming up to go out on tour together, a tour that's being dubbed Young Guns that they will co-headline. Mark and Wolf join me to promote that tour and talk about it. Here's that conversation. And now two other artists that have been frequent guests on this show and both out teaming up together on a tour called the Young Guns Tour. Uh, joining me live now is Wolfgang Van Halen. Wolf, good to see you again, Bud. How are hey, you? Buddy. I'm doing really well. How are you? Good, man. Where are you? Some home studio action? Where are you at? There? Yeah, I'm. I'm at. I'm at a studio back. Uh, back in L.A. It's nice to be home. Is now is that 5150 or your own studio somewhere else?
3: 5150.
2: Uh, that so the, uh, we're looking at 5150 right there, huh?
3: I mean it's the it's the office, but. <laughs>
2: All right. Well, that's still pretty cool. We we all want. Can, can you turn the camera and show us the archives of tapes, Wolves Wolf, can we see the can we see the wall that everybody wants to know about that you need to that you should be working on twenty four seven?
3: That's way over <laughs> there in the studio.
2: You realize the fans feel that you that's all you should be doing is working on those tapes, right? I, I live to serve them. <laughs> uh, good to see you, Wolf. Thank you for some time, and uh, also joining us. Mark LaBelle, lead singer of Dirty Honey.
1: Good to see you, brother. How are you? I'm always good, man. It's always good when I'm in your presence, too, so oh, look at
2: you. You're too kind. So you know <laughs> what? I'm looking at your shot because we're doing this on Zoom. So Wolf is in 5150 in the office there, and I'm looking at Mark's shot, and Mark has a guitar in his lap and guitars hanging behind him. But unless you're at John's house, you don't even play guitar live in the
1: show. What are you doing with all those guitars, Mark? You got to write songs every once in a while, man. And uh, (laughs) that's why I have them. But yeah, no, I've I've accumulated a few over my my years as a musician. I love playing and, and, you know, I love playing guitars and I love guitars, period. I think they're all like little pieces of art. But uh, yeah, I've got I've got a few now. So
2: why don't you play live? How come I've all the times I've seen you? You you know, you never put one around your neck and play on the stage.
1: Um. You know, it's funny. I just did a charity event where I played some acoustic with a friend in in New York over the weekend, and that was kind of the first time I've really played guitar publicly in a long time. And it's fine. I, it's totally fine to do. I just, um, I think bands that I fell in love with growing up always had a front man, and that's what I always wanted to be, and that's what I always gravitated towards. And I, I never really, none of my favorite bands are like guitar strumming lead singers. They're so what awesome. you're saying
3: is there's, there's something wrong with the lead singer playing guitar. <laughs>
2: no, I do like that. <laughs> <laughs> doors off. Wolf is pissed. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wolf shots Wolf fired. Does the- shots fired. So, wait, Wolf does the whole other thing. Wolf is like a mad professor because he's multitasking. He's singing, he's well, playing. Let's be he's got honest. He has that. He's them. been a
1: part of both. He's been a part of both. Let's <laughs> do it. Again. That's
2: true, too. There was that band Van Halen he was in that he was just the bass player, and they, they had a front man named David Lee Roth at the time. So, yeah, it was that, too. But. No, I get what you're saying. It's the dynamic. Or, Mark, are you really saying you just don't want to show up, John, on guitar? Is that really what you're (laughs) saying? Yeah, right. That's tough to do. That's tough. (laughs) So, Wolf, so there's so much to talk to you guys both about. And, of course, this is all because uh, you're touring together. A tour called the Young Guns Tour of Dirty Honey, uh, Mammoth WVH, kicks off January 21st, House of Blues in Chicago. Both of you guys uh, technically supporting debut records, although – Uh, with Dirty Honey there was an EP and some stuff released prior to the full length but and both of you coming off of tours where you supported major major artists Wolf I want to start with you because I finally had a chance to see the band play live in Vegas at Allegiant Stadium opening for GNR that had to be an amazing experience to have done that tour can you talk a little bit about what that was
3: like Oh, man, it was incredible. Uh, it was it was a dream the whole time. Like not only were we playing these ridiculously sized places, which I never could have imagined to have been playing with with Mammoth, but uh, uh they were so kind. Everybody in guns, uh they were just so supportive and, and, and so wonderful. The crew, everyone, it was it was like 100 percent just a joy to be a part of that whole thing.
2: Yeah, and you know, I got there super early. I was texting with Frank, your guitar player, Frank Sidoris, and I was because he it was hometown central for him, and he was waving the Vegas boy. Knights flag, and he was his mm-hmm. <laughs> way into it. But he told me you guys were going on pretty early, so I got in there. I saw all of it. It was really cool watching the uh, the stadium fill in as you played because you went on real early and there's some scattered people, but then you played about an hour. So towards the back end, last three, four songs, it really fil- filled up and felt like there was a, a vibe in there. D- was that the way it went pretty much the whole
3: tour? Yeah, it was really surprising, man. Um, you know, normally as an opening act, you just kind of expect to to be the jester while while people start to fill in. But by the time we were in the last three, four songs, like it was pretty, it was, you know, 70% full. It's like, Damn, there's a lot of people here and like having a good time.
2: How did the material go over from the record? Did it feel like a lot of people knew it and were singing along, or do you think people were maybe just discovering what you're doing with this band? I think it was a bit
3: of both. I think it was a bit of both. I think uh, considering it was our our whole first time out and we weren't playing headline shows everywhere, I think there were a handful of people. You know, I saw a, a bunch of Mammoth Logo shirts in the audience, like people there to. Uh, to really support. And that, that was a really amazing feeling to, to see that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really cool to see. I, and, and I walked out of that saying how much I enjoyed it, but I also walked out of it saying, I'd really love to see this band in a, a club, a theater, in a smaller setting as well. Cause I think it would be awesome. Now I know you did the whiskey and you did some smaller shows, but that's kind of where this tour comes in. Cause you guys are in great size venues And I think it's going to be a great setting to see, see both of these bands. Mark, let me turn it to you. You just came off of touring with the black crows. I was at that show as well. One of my shows of the year, just phenomenal, uh, just a great fit for you guys, a great audience for you to be in front of. Also, you had a, you had a really good long set, like an hour or so. Tell me about the experience of, uh, of doing that tour.
1: Yeah. Again, it was great. And the black crows, um, to my previous point, a band with a front man, no offense, Wolf, (laughs) but, um, a great front man nonetheless. And there was a lot of wisdom to be bestowed on me throughout the the many months that we were with Chris and rich. And, uh, they were not shy about sharing it with me. You know, um, they were sure to, uh, tell me to make sure you tell your manager to go fuck himself from time to time. You know, um, (laughs) it's not bad. Stick to your guns, you know, uh, just shit like that. And, you know, but in terms of the shows, yeah, it, it took some getting used to the amphitheater stage. I think it took about five or six shows before we really felt comfortable out there and and felt like we could really take control of the audience and really turn them into fans after you know a few songs into the set. And um I was gonna say, interestingly, Wolf, you've only done like two headline shows of your own, right? Am I no a couple, there's a couple more actually, now yeah. We
3: probably did. I mean, with the gun stuff, there were probably what. 30 something shows so there was we probably got about 10 10 plus headline shows
1: cool yeah i think i think just with time after your record being out and going into your own like headlining atmosphere that's that makes it extremely exciting because you now have fans and they're there to see you and it yeah, just, rather than like auditioning for their, for your attention, exactly. like people are there and they're, and they're fucking ready. <laughs> and surely you've been exposed to a ton of people. And, and so have we, over the past summer and, and <laughs> a lot of them have, or they're going to have had six months to check out your music and they're going to come to the gigs knowing it. And it's going to be a completely different energy in the theater than it was for either one of our opening. you it's know gonna watched, yeah. yeah, it's going to be sweet. <laughs>
2: I should tell the audience that the reason why Chris Robinson was able to tell Mark to tell his manager to go fuck himself is because they share <laughs> the same manager. Uh, otherwise it might not have been uh, able to be, to do that, but they share the same. Who manager. we love so by the, the way. We, we love to him. Dia. I'll be seeing him tonight here in Vegas. It's going to be a crazy night tonight at this uh, black crow show. I'm excited for it. But, you know, speaking of that, I, I know now having, having gone to the black crow's dirty honey, and we hung out, Mark, and we, we stood side stage and watched some of uh, the Black Crows. And I know you guys were going out there pretty much every night and watching some some of their set. Talk a little bit about that. Do you go out? I mean, even as a young band, I imagine that's invaluable to watch what Chris Robinson does, watch what the band does, watch how they do their thing and and learn from it. And, and whatever you, advice you can get off stage, but also just watching the show every night, you guys pretty much went out there and did that, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely at least the first hour, if not the whole thing. Um, You know, we had some long drives some nights where we would we would dip out after about an hour. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a really cool opening to the show. And I always love that that energy, you know, seeing the first couple of tunes. But they're also the first couple of tunes of that show are some of my favorite songs ever. It's twice as hard and jealous again and angels and. Uh, could i have been so blind i mean they were to shake your money maker front to back so and it's obviously a great record and to watch them both of them and the band go out and literally just kill it performance wise every night was really inspiring i think it's it's really hard to be great every night and they definitely are great every single night so if you're in vegas go check them out because it's a fucking awesome show mm.
2: Yeah, I'm going for another round tonight. Uh Wolf, for you, did you get out and watch GNR a lot? And and did you oh, yeah. did you did you get a chance to talk to you know did Axel, you have any time with Axel where he kind of gave you some some
3: thoughts? Not so uh, so much like uh well yeah, I guess there was a couple times there was uh uh there was one time when I when I met him that he kind of ran up and I was like, "Hello, Mr. Rose." And I <laughs> put my hand out and then he gave me a hug. And he told me that he loved the uh the Don't Back Down video and we just talked for a little bit. He was he was really really cool. Um but yeah, I mean, we uh we watched the show every chance we got. Um uh the first night in Hershey, we were like let's go out to to the soundboard and watch a bunch and it was it was really weird because we got there right as the show was starting, but there was maybe this like 30 second sort of thing where we were walking through the crowd and people started realizing we were the band that was just up there and they started cheering like it was like fucking graduation or something (laughs) luckily (laughs) luckily they went on stage as it was happening but it was like a surreal like you know those stories where people are like yeah and everybody clapped and it's like total bullshit that was literally what was happening (laughs) it was it was really crazy but uh but yeah man it was it was just so killer to you know you're just uh, like you know like mark said sometimes you had long drives and it's like you're packing up for the bus and you just hear echoes of sweet child of mine just blaring and it's just really cool
2: now, the tour, uh, I think, Mark, you guys out with Black Crows, that kind of went off without a hitch. But for for you, Wolf, I know the, uh, remarkably the Guns N' Roses tour, what their side of things was pretty – they got – I mean, given the size of the shows, the crew and everything – They got through it at least in a publicly unscathed, as far as I know. But you guys got hit a little bit and had some COVID issues. Uh, Can you talk about that and how that, how you dealt with that?
3: Yeah. Somehow, miraculously, only one dude on our crew uh, got it, and nobody else did. Out of, I believe, (laughs) I think at the end of it, we calculated how many collective tests we did. It was like a hundred something tests. like to the point where you think you would start seeing like false positives, but no, it was literally just like negative every time. And the guy who, the one guy who got it, uh, got like three positives. And, and we just, you know, we sat out the the proper allotted time and we rounded back up and got going and, uh, we, we did it. We pulled it off.
2: And, and Mark, you guys out on the road with black crows that, that got through. Okay. Right. No, no issues on any, any real fronts. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we had one crew member got it at the very end of the um, at the very end of the run. I think he got it in Philly, and and he was isolated, and everybody was cool. Everybody tested, and everybody else was negative. So he actually was getting surgery or something, and he got tested before going into surgery, and uh, they, they he just kind of had a you know a a mild case that he didn't know about and just tested positive but um yeah everything was cool and we we were laughing before because i think we had somewhat different experiences because we obviously guns's crew is huge and they're playing stadiums and you know we're at the amphitheater level and it's a little smaller thing so i think and chris and rich are a little more uh prone to living life i would say than you know (laughs) they do everything they have to do but they're they're definitely not two people that you're gonna lock in a a touring cage for four months um no i was in. i was in chris i was in chris's i was in chris's
2: dressing room after the show and he was holding court and we were having a drink and it was like yeah it was all good so and you see you find that everybody lands on things a different way some people are completely buttoned down some people are like hey i got vaccinated i'm gonna live it's fine and we're gonna move forward and who's to say anymore what's right or wrong it's just it's it's crazy because it's just all over the map The most buttoned down people seem to be the ones that are getting it though. That's the craziest thing. I talk to guys who are super loose and they have no problems. And then you got guys who are super bubbled and they have problems.
1: Well, you just get vaccinated is, is the underlying, uh, lesson there for me, you know, I mean, both camps got vaccinated. That's obviously the, the greatest safeguard you can have against it. And, uh, Totally. I mean, uh, like, my, my philosophy with it is that, you know, I really don't,
3: you know, give a shit what the what the political motivations behind how you feel about it are. Uh, it's just, uh, I'm a singer, and I don't want a respiratory disease, <laughs> respiratory illness, Totally. It's as simple as that. <laughs> like, I wouldn't run a regular cold, even though you get over it pretty quick. I want to be right. able to bring a game every night especially a right, you know, thing that could could damage my voice in the long term that you don't even know. So we
1: were chatting before too, like even, even before COVID was the thing doing meet and greets at the height of flu season, you are obviously washing your hands and, you know, staying clean and relatively as safe as you can uh, regardless. Cause you don't want to show to cancel just because you have the flu and you can't sing or something. So we're both pretty safe to begin with. And you know, we're, we're looking forward to keeping a safe tour and, you know, obviously playing great shows that's the that's the main thing
2: yeah and you bring up a great point both of you being lead singers I, I i never i was talking to miles kennedy recently and he was telling me before he went out on this solo tour that he did he had gotten covid a really long time ago and he got through it and he felt he was fine and then he said he was he told me he was singing and playing his set that he was getting ready to do his solo thing. And when he got into rehearsals, he realized his wind wasn't the same on his voice and that there was this residual thing from COVID that he had to work past. So really for both of you as lead singers, it's a, it's definitely something that you, you don't want a, a, long-term, yeah, a long-term issue with, for sure. Definitely. So let me ask you guys about how you came together, uh, this tour came together, which again kicks off January 21st, Mammoth WVH, Dirty Honey, uh, the Young Guns Tour, it's being called. Was there history between you? When was, uh, Wolf, when did you first become aware of Dirty Honey?
3: Oh, I've known about them for a while. You know, being the uh, uh, the, the band that got their, their their single on the charts without being signed, like it was so badass. Like these guys that came out of nowhere just started demolishing, you know, um, and uh, and then once uh, we had our whole team set up, um, our agent uh, manages them as, as well. Um, so we had always just been kind of, you know, uh, adjacent, uh, in terms of our, our business teams. And then, uh, we had this one show in South Carolina on the last run and we had, uh, done a handful of, you know, uh, festivals where we had crossed and it was just always a good time. So it, it, it just really makes sense.
2: And Mark, when did, when did you first, uh, what were your thoughts? First time you heard Wolf's music and, and his record and
1: it came on your radar. I mean, the first time I heard the music was was when The Distance dropped. And obviously, that's a, a a pretty emotional song and, you know, a really good song. But yeah, the emotion definitely takes a toll on you. And then, um, actually, I heard you talking about it quite a bit on your show, looking forward to the record being um, released. And, and even our agent uh, was talking about how great Wolfgang stuff coming out um, was going to be probably a year before – it was it was out he was really excited about it so I knew it was going to be really good and then yeah hearing it and, and then even really seeing him play live was when it was like okay this guy's a motherfucker for sure like he's singing his ass off the band sounds great he plays everything um and and really for me delivering live is is everything so he he definitely does that and I saw him for the first time in Philadelphia at MMRBQ and and uh I think there was definitely a mutual respect for for both bands there. And it was a particularly really fun show of the, uh, summer.
3: Crowd. that was an, one of the best, best shows.
1: <laughs> so, uh, we, we were excited to, uh, to team up after that day. I'm sure.
2: You know, Mark, your voice is unbelievable live. I told you, I just think it gets better and better. It's incredible. What's what you're doing with, with your voice and Wolf for you, I've told you since the minute I heard the, the debut record that, I mean, I always knew you could play great, but, to your vocal on the record is tremendous. And then seeing you live and seeing you deliver it live was was phenomenal. Did you did you feel as the as you went out with the band and built the band around you and a great band that you put around around you to deliver these songs, did you feel more confident vocally singing live? I mean in the studio is oh, so one thing, but as each gig went, did that come more naturally to you fronting the band
3: so, so much more? Absolutely. Having John uh, behind me, uh, you know, doubling, doing all the harmonies and just killing it and Ronnie doing all the high harmonies. It's like uh, when, when you've got that talent behind you, you, you just, you know, it, it, it bolsters everything. So, they, you know, my band certainly gives me the confidence to, to push through. It's like if they're kicking ass, why can't I with them sort of thing?
2: So people that are going to come see you guys play together, Uh, Tell me how this is going to go. Are you, uh, is one band going on first every night? Second Uh, is, are you going to maybe, have you talked about maybe doing something together at the end of the night? Uh, Mark, you want to pick that up as far as uh, what people are going to see if they come out to the shows?
1: Yeah, we're going to flip flop every night and between opener and headliner, even though whatever, we're playing the same amount of time, um, changing the time slot every night. And uh, we haven't uh we haven't talked about doing anything together yet, but that'll probably be a topic. I That's it's certainly an
3: an organic thing, I think we'll we we'll, talk we'll yeah. about
1: assuming everything goes well, we'll uh we'll figure <laughs> that out, right? Um but yeah, other than that, I, I think we're really excited to watch each other play every night. I think it's gonna be really fun. How long will each of your sets be? You Somewhere
2: say the same like- amount of time, but is it an hour, hour fifteen?
1: I want to say, like it it wasn't it, wasn't it like an hour, hour fifteen? Yeah, it's, it's somewhere okay. right around there. It's, yeah. I, I don't know if we maybe. have that ironed out yet or not.
2: Is there a third act, or is it just the two of you? Is there, is there a third act going out with you?
1: It's just us. Yeah, we're just doing our thing, and uh, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> there could be a third here or there. I, I have no idea. That that's for the yeah, same. that's <laughs> for the guys that we get to be mean to every, <laughs> every now and then uh, to decide. But no, they honestly, both managers and and, and our agent has done an uh, exceptional job booking all this stuff and, and, you know, ironing out all the details. It's been an awesome, awesome thing. And the, the marketing has been great. We've, we both freaked out when we met each other about the, uh, the poster that Uh, I made made. in my profile picture.
3: I thought it was so bad. So, So, uh,
1: you know, everything's gone off without a hitch so far and, and it's been great. Yeah,
2: you're right. The marketing has been great. I've traveled extensively over the last month or so with a variety of rock shows and things that I've, been at for whatever reason. And uh everywhere I go where you guys are playing, there's great signage and there's great placement and there's no way people won't know about this if they're in these venues. So that's a really been really cool thing to see. Wolf, I want to ask you, you know, Mark alluded to this a second ago as well. Your, so your record, which is your debut album, but it had a long Uh, gestation period you know it was like a long time before you actually got it out and some of it was done quite a long time ago and now you know it's still the new record it's still the record you're actively promoting but have you worked on new music already do you have stuff for another record that you've already focused on some
3: well I'm ready to go just put me in there (laughs) you know but uh, I think for right now this next year is looking to be a very uh tour heavy year uh, so I think it'd be the amount of time to, to, to try and figure out when we can carve that that month or two out in the studio uh, to comfortably get some stuff done. Um, but I was really actually looking forward to this run. Uh, you know, like I've mentioned before, I think uh, to you that um, there was a handful, maybe seven or eight songs that didn't make the album because not because it wasn't good enough, but just because, uh, you know, a, a 28 <laughs> uh, song uh, debut record uh, would be insane uh but uh i, I was thinking of maybe pulling some of those songs uh out live to kind of uh test them with the audience uh beforehand to see what people would like which will most likely be on the next record
2: so you haven't recorded anything yet but you have everything pretty much written it sounds oh good. there
3: there's uh yeah there's there's many ideas that uh are kind of just uh idea showcases if you will just kind of like minute and a half ideas here and there. i've got like 20 of those and then there's uh like seven to 10 full songs from the first session that I think uh, could have a new life on the second album.
2: And with, and with the second record, do you want to continue to do it the way you did the first where you do everything yourself, or would you like to actually make it with the band?
3: I'm going to keep doing it uh, my way just because uh, I have such a good time. It's kind of, you know, uh, having your cake and eating it too. Like I never get to play the drums anymore. And so it's, it's a lot of fun to be able to do it all in the studio. I, I just, uh, there's a lot of uh, pleasure from the process for me of just slowly putting it, piecing it together and you just to kind of prove to- myself that I can still do it, you know?
2: <laughs> well, well, you had actually told me that that's actually your favorite instrument to play is drums, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would, I would love to just sit in the back and, and play the drums and, and relax instead of have to be in the front and be like, Hey, everybody look at me. So, (laughs) and Mark, what about you? I mean, the record,
2: uh, this, as I mentioned, you guys had songs previous to the record, full length record out now, but have you, you're sitting there in your house with guitars on your lap and everything. You always writing, you got some stuff cooking, you thinking about the next record yet?
1: Yeah, I think um, we were actually just talking about renting a house, maybe out in like Joshua tree or something for a week and just bringing everything out there and just writing and seeing what we come up with. But I was going to say too, I think one of the most, um, one of the most efficient times to write is when everything's set up at soundcheck on stage and you have 30 minutes or whatever to work on stuff. And, and that, that was one thing about, I'm sure it was similar for Wolf too, you know, opening up for a much bigger act than yourself. You don't get a lot of time to soundcheck and you definitely don't get a lot of time to write stuff in an arena. That's not (laughs) rented out for you, you know? Um, so i I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to on you know a couple nights on the run you know having some time to hear how things sound in a in an empty theater and you know that just always adds an extra element to the writing for me that you know you, you can't get in a really sterile studio environment
2: yeah i, I and I, I want to ask you guys this too I mean I am super optimistic about where we're at with rock music and the future of rock music. I really am. Both both of your bands, uh, again, I just had uh, Jay from Rival Sons on before you. I had a band. I know they opened for you. Wolf Plush was on last week. All four girls under the age of 21, out now with Hailstorm and Evanescence. I love what Aaron Jones is doing right now. Aaron Ross. Jared James Nichols. There's so many great young emerging bands that I'm so excited about. And you guys are very much part of that as well. Are are you? Do you share that optimism and and do you feel it? I'll start with you, Wolf. Do you feel it on the road? Do you feel younger fans and do you feel the tide turning of more people embracing rock music and and this next? What I feel is very much a next a next
3: wave of great bands. Oh yeah, man! You you think that. Uh... the audiences or at least my audiences would be filled with you know uh van halen fans uh people who are you know probably 40 plus but i gotta tell you every single show was a wide smattering of ages like there was never really a defined like oh it's it's this kind of crowd it's that kind of crowd it's like it's an all-age sort of thing i think that's uh you're right there's a lot of hope to be had in the genre because it really seems like it's starting to pick up steam again
2: and, and your decision, Wolf, to which I, I think is very admirable, with this band, which you set out right from the start was to only play the music that you make and not play Van Halen music. Did, did that come into your thinking at all as well? I mean, I know you wanted to go on your own feet, but also mm-hmm. the fact that you were going to build an audience that was genuinely there to see you for your music versus coming to hear you do "Running with the Devil."
3: Yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, really important that I that I prove myself and I and I, I make my case. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd like to reiterate, there's a lot of people who take my stuff out of context and be like, oh, you just hate Van Halen stuff. That's why you won't play it for us. And it's like, no, I like I, I all I've ever said is you won't hear a Van Halen song at a mammoth show. Like I wouldn't be a get, like if, if Guns and Roses in the last tour had been like, hey, you want to play Run With The Devil? I'd be like, hell yeah, let's do it. You know, but it's like at a mammoth show, I, I, I'm not going to use Van Halen material to bolster my own solo career. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be myself and, uh, you can get over. You can Wait, I'm going to give your- you, I'm going
2: to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a hypothetical now. <laughs> okay. What about if, what about if Mark LaBelle one night comes out and says, Hey Wolf, you want to come out and play in the cradle? will rock with dirty honey. What do you do then Wolf?
3: Then I'd sit in the back and play drums.
2: <laughs> oh, you'd play it, but you'd play drums.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't That's- play it. Oh, Corey! I, I Corey feel- Corey's life would be absolutely shattered, but <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be in the cradle will rock though. We wouldn't do that one. Well, no, knows, what would you do, Mark? Which tune I'm very fond of. We'll leave it at that. Well, i I have a, I have a
2: big soft spot for women and children. But if you did a Van Halen song, Mark, which would it? Which would it be? What's your song? I mean, there's
1: a ton of great ones, but yeah, no, we would. Uh, I don't know. I've. I mean, we used to do a bunch of them in our like cover I mean- set early on very very technically to call
3: you out on 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 your hypothetical technically technically if i did
1: sit in and play a van halen song with them it would be at a dirty honey show not at a Mammoth show.
2: right that's what i'm saying there you go i got you
1: and uh and and we also need somebody to sing harmonies too we need like uh we have wolf of course (laughs) i think i I I know some of those yeah, wolf wolf has a has those down but i i think we need somebody else from uh his uh his but, side of things to help out
3: but i, I guess i need to reiterate <laughs> my statement then uh you won't hear a van halen song in a mammoth set there you go right there we go there, there'll, never be a, you. Um, there'll never be a, a mammoth set list that has a, a van halen song on.
1: which by gotcha. the way i really appreciate uh him doing it's um It's extremely brave, honestly, to go out and try and stand on your own two feet, which he's doing. And um, you know, I I think he's not taking the easy way out, which is really cool. I think it's he's on his own path, which is awesome.
3: My dad would be pissed. He'd be like, "What the fuck are you doing?" I play your stuff. He's like, (laughs) "He's like, I love your music. Like, why would you? Why would you do this?"
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you said that from the start. Well, if you said your dad always said you, you do you. But People don't listen. That's the thing. (laughs) Well, let me ask you about that. This is funny, too. You guys both. I look at similarities between the two bands. I look at differences. And you guys both have a very different approach to social media. Mark, you're pretty much not on it at all. Like as far as I'm aware, you don't even have your own account of your own name. There's a band account, and that's pretty much it. Wolf, we all know. I mean, we talked about this. You're you're in it. You'll go shit. back at people. You you give people shit. I I think, you know, I, I get a kick out of it. So um, talk a little bit talk a little bit about that, uh, Wolf. You like to dig in a little bit and and not only tell people what's going on, but Set the record straight on stuff.
3: There's nothing more that I hate than people taking my words out of context and skewing them, and 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 tell me about it, <laughs> and, and believing wrong, you know, and and think thinking they know me while confidently believing the wrong shit, <laughs> you know. Right. So I just I like to clarify stuff, and some people call this call that whining, which I disagree. Uh, I just like to be very clear. I choose my words very carefully, uh, and I choose my actions very carefully so uh i like to make those things clear when people uh get that stuff wrong and then use that wrong information to dislike me (laughs) i think that's really stupid
2: i look from uh, not not so much dislike
3: me but but discredit me in in ways i think that's you know if you don't have to like me i don't give a shit if you like me or not it's 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 when people you know uh, take a sentence out of out of a bigger picture of what I'm trying to say, and then and then use that in some dumb way to, to skew against me. I, I I hate that shit. So I just like to make things clear. And then when people are dickheads, it's it's fun to to make a joke out of it <laughs> trust me i've been there and can totally
2: relate when you say taken out of context doing a, a daily radio rock talk show so i get you totally and mark your position on it you're pretty much you're you're kind of you know it's not your thing right it doesn't seem like it at least
1: no i mean i'm on instagram and stuff i'm i'm uh just not uh i i'm not like a dirty honey mark on there or something you know what i mean i just um i kind of like to keep that somewhat separate. I I definitely like promote of course, and, and do, but it's more just my interests. You know, I, I, I love motorcycles. I love hiking. I love uh, going to shows. I like uh, what, you know, it's my thing is just camping and motorcycling basically. And, and that's, that's what I post about and whatever, but uh, yeah, dirty honey is got its own page. And, you know, it's funny. I actually did this charity thing with this, very famous hockey player and he's sitting next to me at brunch the other day and he's like oh you, I gotta tag you in this thing I was like yeah use dirty honey use dirty honey he's like oh you don't use you don't use camp moto that's not you I was like well, that's me but use dirty honey I, any attention should go to the band. If if it's about me singing go to the band. And then he used Camp Moto anyway and I was like fuck like <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> and then uh yeah a bunch of people started checking checking that out so
2: Last thing, and I'll let you both go. I want to ask you each what so far in the very early stages of your career has been a highlight, whether it's on the road, whether it's a, something that happened with a, a song or or just a moment so far. Is there something in your individual careers since you started doing this? that jumps out as a, a, a tour, a, a moment? Is there something that was really just like a, a holy shit moment that jumps out for you at the
1: so far at this stage in your career? Mark, go ahead, you start. I mean, Dirty Honey has obviously accomplished so much for being an unsigned band. There's a lot of really cool things that we've done, you know, opening up for The Who and Guns N' Roses. And, you know, I, honestly, the act, the highlight for me so far is just, Getting getting some respect from the people that you grew up loving, whether it's Slash or Roger Daltrey or Axel or whatever, Chris Robinson and Rich, like that. Those are the things when they like pull you aside and said, "I'm a really big fan of what you're doing. That's really cool." But um, I know I'm gonna look back at this next tour and and realize it's one of the most special times of my life because we're both, you know, going up and every every artist when they're being nostalgic always looks back to that time when they're on the rise, you know, it's, it's always when they're on the rise that they look back most fondly on. And, um, I'm, it's not lost on me that I'm in it right now. And we both are. And, uh, this is a a really a meeting of two great bands that are both doing it. And it's that one plus one equals three thing. And I think we're in for a really good first quarter of 2022. So. And Wolf,
3: what about you highlight moment? a couple things um uh the show in cleveland uh, it was a headliner show it was one of our first headliner shows that was one of the most insane shows ever that i'll never forget that crowd it was the loudest the loudest crowd i'd ever ever experienced and it was at our our like third headliner show It, it was it was an incredible amazing experience um uh two things with with the guns tour uh, in terms of playing with them, I'll never forget uh, playing Paradise City with them for for two nights, sitting in with them. That was an insane, uh, crazy experience, and being part of the bow, the very last bow where I was able to bring my band out and we all bowed together. Uh, I'll never forget that. Um, and then one small little thing that I thought was funny was after the uh, the Vegas uh, Allegiance Stadium show, we were the we were we were the last to leave. I think it was like three a.m. bus call. And uh, I, uh, I actually stole, <laughs> I stole a golf cart that was just kind of sitting there, and it was just driving around the parking lot. And Frank had his skateboard and was and was hitching a ride behind it and trying to go as fast as he can. Uh, and in the middle of that, all of a sudden, Axel walked up to us. We didn't see him, and he, was, and he just kind of walked up and was like, "Oh, hey, you guys are still here." And we were like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Okay, cool. See you guys," and then just slowly walked away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, just, I
3: just thought that was a really funny really funny moment but uh yeah those those three things i think are, are what jumped out my mind uh
2: and well, will fi- one final thing i just want to hit you with it, has there been any discussion further about uh, when we we talked last time you know there's always these rumors and rumblings about some sort of uh tribute for your dad or some sort of big event or show has there been any other discussion about that is there any van halen stuff you can update us on before we let you go
3: yeah, I mean, there's there's not really current any any current uh, thing to be updated on. Uh, I think there's still a lot that would need to go into that. And uh, I, I think when it comes to any Van Halen related things, uh, that starts with Al. So I'm I'm kind of focused on Mammoth stuff right now, and uh, Al is kind of the uh, the proprietor, and I'm just there to kind of support him whenever he needs me.
2: And how is your uncle doing? I mean, he's you know you know not many people hear from him during all this. I know he's a, f- a pretty private guy, but how yeah, he- how has he been?
3: he's doing, uh, he's doing well. He's uh, you know, we, we talk a lot and uh, he's just, uh, uh, you know, doing his thing.
2: Very, very cool. All right. Well, listen, thank you so much for the time Uh the, the tour starts January 21st, the house of blues in Chicago, and it runs for quite a while. You can go to either of the band's websites, either dirty com or Wolf, what's the site for you? Is it, if is it mammoth dot um, Yes so you can go there and find the dates it runs through mm, looks like through march right it's so march, you got a yeah. you, you got a good amount of dates here and they're all in great venues great size venues great place to see two great rock bands like this and last thing from me a thank you because this is a soapbox issue for me and i know wolf you've talked about it mark you and i have talked about it thank you for being both real live rock bands. You go see (laughs) Mammoth and you go see Dirty Honey and there's not going to be a Pro Tools rig or a laptop or a track anywhere on the stage. What you're hearing is live, real rock music the way it should fucking be. So thank you for being two young rock bands, bringing it real and live. God bless you both.
3: Always a pleasure, brother.
2: All right guys thanks thanks great seeing you good luck on the tour can't wait to catch some shows again get your tickets now and uh, check it out online for a date near you take care you guys we'll see you soon okay bye-bye you too man
1: enjoy the crows tonight
2: i will man sorry you won't be there but uh, you'll be there in spirit
1: (laughs) i know tell the guys i said hi
2: thanks to mark and wolf looking forward to that tour it should be a great one mammoth wvh and dirty honey hitting the road together on the young guns tour Earlier, thanks to John Waite as well. Appreciate you guys listening on social media. Be sure to follow at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook. EddieTrunk.com is the website. And uh, don't forget, next Thursday, another all new episode. Be sure to listen to the radio show on Sirius XM. And what else? Oh, most importantly, happy, healthy new year, everybody. Appreciate you listening. I will see you again next Thursday for another all new episode of the Eddie Trunk podcast. Our first of 2022. Have a good, safe one.